Uh, do turn with me to Deuteronomy, uh, page 179, I think. And... Uh, Bring greetings from the folks from Harrowwood. When they heard I was coming here, some well-meaning folks said, well, do be careful. I don't know, I think you're north of Watford from where we live, sometimes it's a bit dangerous. I think they think there's piranhas in the River Don. But, um, and it's interesting that the title is Heading North. Peter Collier wrote to me and said that. He said, it's not intended as a pun for you, Chris, but it's just what the, what the scripture is. And this is a series in Deuteronomy which I hope uh, you've been enjoying and, and in a sense it's incredible, isn't it? You know, what has Deuteronomy got to do with me? I mean, this book that was written um, three and a half thousand years ago, I mean, you read yesterday's newspaper and it's irrelevant. What has this book of Deuteronomy got to do with me? How is it important for me to know? Well, the context of Deuteronomy is the promises in Genesis 12 to Abraham. You know those three promises? Uh, that after the wreckage of the terrible rebellion in Genesis 3, then God, in a sense, would make these promises of a land and a people and a blessing to others through Abraham, through Abraham. And, um, and that's the context now as we come into Deuteronomy. And, and the people are the Israelites. There's probably about a million and a half of them. Uh, They are God's special people. Not special of themselves, but special because God has has put his hand on them. They are God's rescued people. And that's how Deuteronomy is relevant to me and us. Because as Christians, we are God's rescued people. God, through his grace and mercy, and nothing other than that, has put his hand on us, rescued us, changed our eternity. Never forget that. If you've been a Christian a little while, it's a great joy, isn't it? If you've been a Christian a long while, it still should be burning in our hearts. That we are a rescued people. We have been rescued by God out of the bondage of sin. They were rescued from the bondage of Egypt. We've been rescued from slavery to sin and brought into the freedom of Jesus and brought home to be with him, to serve him. So in a sense, Deuteronomy is our book because the rescue that they've just come from points to Jesus. And again, there's a a lovely thing if you've got Deuteronomy in front of you. Uh, Just to help us, Deuteronomy 32, when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words. We live in a world of idle words in word or print. They are not just idle words. For they are your life. It's a life-giving word that God has given us. And what does it do by them? You'll live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So this is our book for God's rescued people. The the place for them there is the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land of Cana. The time, well it's 40 years after the exodus, after this wonderful deliverance. But sadly, just like me, they find it hard to trust God. And so he judged them. He judged them in the 40 years wanderings in the wilderness. And um, 
when you think about it, they could have got from Egypt to the Promised Land in 11 days. What a waste, in one sense. 40 years. 40 years where God prepared them for, for a new beginning. That's one. Then we turned back and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country for long enough, now turn north. A pivotal time in the sense the announcement of the end of the wilderness and a new era for God's people. A new start, a fresh start. So what that's like? Well, if you support Sheffield Wednesday, you've got a new start, haven't you? The football start, I know it's in a lower league, but it's a new start, isn't it? A new start of hope and joy. A new start. So you can forget the nightmare of the World Cup. We've got a new start now, haven't we? And the people, by God's grace, have got a new start. And incredibly, that says wonderful things about God's patience with them, God's mercy towards them. Verse 7, the Lord has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? So God has sustained this people, this vast numbers of people in a desert for 40 years. And uh, it's marvellous, God's patience, God's perseverance with them. And think about God's patience and perseverance with you. I've been a Christian 40 years this year. And as I ask for prayer, sometimes I'm frightened, I'm I'm appalled and horrified at, at my own continual lack of trust. That desire to go my own way, not God's way. That song, My Way. It's the most recorded song. More, more artists have recorded My Way than any other song. You know, from sort of Faints and Archers to the Muppets. They've all had a go at My Way. And when that bell, the chime stopped chiming, if you listen very, very carefully, you can still hear My Way up and down the pews, even in this pulpit. Because deep down, I'm still humming that terrible song. My way. I'll do it my way. And God is faithful still to a people like that, even after 40 years. Because the two things that strike you from any reading of the the Old Testament and the New is the consistent unfaithfulness of God's people in contrast to the consistent faithfulness of that God to that people. And thank him for that. Thank him for that. That's the reality. That's the reality that we live in. That's the reality they lived in. I, 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 one of the, the, in a sense, in the service this morning, one of the best parts of the service in one way is the confession. Because it makes me say sorry for going my way. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? The reality of that. And the challenge is, though, do I just save up confession for Sunday? Or is it a regular prayer on my lips Monday through to Saturday? Lord, please forgive me from going my way. But back to Deuteronomy. Now, now is the time. Now is the time. The 40 years are over. Now is the time to go forward. Verse 2 again. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. 
give these people these orders. They're marching orders to go forward, to go on. They've been walking around, it says, they actually got familiar, they probably knew nearly every pebble of it around where they were, but they were challenged and, and commanded by God to go forward. Always difficult, isn't it? Always difficult to do that. Easier to stay where you are. I love to stay where I am. I'm not one of these pioneers who are challenged for new stuff. Oh, I just, I can't be bothered with all that. I just want to be comfortable. I mean, I really am. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't like new challenges. I really like where I am. You know, I've lived in the same house for 40 years. I've been in the same church for 40 years. I've had the same wife for 40 years. I don't want change. Don't ask her whether she wants change, but I, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to go for it. I don't want to pioneer new territory. Let the kids get on with that. And the danger is in a church like this, and in the church like St Peter's, perhaps all churches, but particularly in the big ones, there's so much going on, you've got your work cut out, keeping the show on the road. And it's easier to maintain rather than go for mission. Challenge, isn't it? And I'm really thrilled to hear that, that the churches. I read uh, last when I came last year the vision of this church to, to keep planting churches, to keep going forward, not to sort of sit where you are. And it's, and it's more difficult to go forward now because we live in a very. They are going to go now from a sort of, in a sense, on their own with God in the desert into hostile territory to cultures that are different to them, to cultures that will challenge them big time. And that's true for us. The hostility of the cultures that they will meet and the hostility of the culture in which we live. Have you noticed that? How hostile this culture is now. You know, we are, I think, in times perhaps that we've not lived in before, where the increasing hostility to Christians of our culture and we're seen as narrow-minded and arrogant. You know, they talk of Jesus as the only way. That's preposterous. We're thought of out of touch and irrelevant to the modern world. You know, we're talking about right and wrong. Well, there's no right and wrong. It's all relative, isn't it? And we're so old-fashioned. I mean, my youngest daughter, bless her, she's nearly 18. She keeps reminding me, she, said, she keeps saying to me, Daddy, she said, you're so yesterday. <laughs> I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> See, I'm just old and irrelevant. We're seen to be old-fashioned and irrelevant, especially on, on human sexuality. We just haven't got that right at all. In fact, we're dangerous and, and downright naive and dangerous with those views. We seem we're offensive. Talking about personal sin. Talking about accountability to a God who doesn't exist anyway. Actually, we're possibly harmful to society. We're so harmful that some folks say, actually, we have no right for a public voice at all. Oh, it's all right, you know, in, in the quiet of your own home. That's okay, just. We'll tolerate that, because we're a tolerant society. But they want to privatise. I mean, we live in a society that privatises everything, doesn't it? From gas onwards, really. And they want to privatise Christianity. So it's a hostile time. And how do we live in that? Well, the easiest thing to do is, is, to, is to withdraw, isn't it? Deuteronomy and the rest of the, of, of the Bible tells us how to live in a hostile environment, how to stand for Jesus in a hostile world. How do we live? How are we going to honour him? These are some of the questions that Deuteronomy looks at. 
But God, the great thing is, as we go into this hostile territory, God continues to guide, verses 4 to 6, he continues to guide his people. Give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. He guides his people and he says, don't mess with Edom. I was in Texas once. Huge black. Have you ever been to Texas? Huge. You know, there's not one bit of litter on any of the streets anywhere. And we drove around Texas a lot. There's no litter on the streets. You know why? Or even anywhere. Because there's big signs up, don't mess with Texas. And the fine is a thousand dollars. And even if in the middle of nowhere, if you just put down even, even a banana skin, suddenly there's one of these troopers come up with a big motorbike and the old glasses. And you confess to everything. And the train robbery downwards. Don't mess with Edom. He reminds them of their faithfulness to God in the past. And go his way. Do it his way, not my way. Stop humming that hateful little song. Verse 7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. That was true for them and it's true for us. And sometimes we need to look back, not to sort of wallow in nostalgia and want to live there, but to see God's good hand at work in our lives individually, in our family's lives, in the life of this church. It's good to know the history of a church. If you're new here, find out the history of this church. Find out the gracious dealings of a living God with the people in the church he established here and this church he established in, in Harold so that we can then have the courage to go forward because he's not changed. The God in Deuteronomy is still the same God in forward. Still the same God in Harold Wood. And that will encourage us to go forward. St Peter's now, we've just had a, a big sort of under God's guidance and, and directing totally, we've had a big extension to our premises so we can minister more effectively Monday to Saturday. And I think we, are, we feel now more poised for, a, for a, quite a step up in our devotion and faithfulness to God. But it's scary. So we need to look back on the past and see how God built that church through people like you and me to have the courage to go forward God is always, he's not, he's not into maintenance, he's a missionary God, isn't he? Going forward, even with stick in the mud like Chris Knowles, yet pushing forward. Come with me, you see, he doesn't push, not like the First World War general that pushes you over the front, over the top and sits back. No, he leads, doesn't he? Jesus always goes before. And he and here says, go forward, go forward. And the challenge, he says, the Lord has blessed you, go forward. Verse 8. So we went on past our brothers, the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir. That's incredible. Against the, all the odds, for once, these people obeyed God. I can imagine all the angels in heaven tearing up their bedding slips. <laughs> no one had any money on that. Forty years serial disobedience, but suddenly they got it. So they obeyed God, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. And so God, and God guides again, verse 9. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war. He's guiding them through dangerous territory. 
guiding them all the time. And he, and he gives them some sort of, uh, the, he gives them a bit of background in 10 to 12 about the Emites that used to live there and the Anakites and the Ralphites and Moabites and, and all rights and all sorts of Marmites. No, not they. But all those sort of rights. To show them, <coughs> a bit of background, to show them, I think, and to show us God is in control of the nations. We often pray that, I'm glad we do, but God is in control of the nations, therefore we should not fear. Because the big danger in a hostile culture is just to draw up the drawbridge. Just sit tight and wait for better days. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't think there's going to be better days. There never is really better days. What do you expect in a world in rebellion against its maker? But trust him and go forward. Go forward. And he keeps giving instructions to them, isn't he? He gives them the instructions all the time. And the Lord said, verse um, 13, Now get up and cross the Zered Valley. The Zered Valley is the river going sort of east out of the Dead Sea. Cross over that, go north, and now you're really on the last legs into the, into the Promised Land. And the Lord said, now get up and cross the Zered Valley. And wonderfully, so we crossed the valley. Wow, they obeyed him twice running. That's a world record. Incredible, isn't it? They're on a roll, you see. They've got the habit. I think if you obey God once, you get a good habit of obeying him again because you see that uh, he doesn't let you down. And they're really on their way with you. I just imagine if it was a, a football crowd. We're on our way with your way. La, 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 la. Woo, la. You can imagine singing it, can't you? It's better than my way. And they're on their way with Yahweh. Do you feel as a church you're on your way with Yahweh? Or if people plugged in, do they hear my way drowning that out? They're on their way with Yahweh. They're trusting him. And as a salutary reminder, verse 14, he tells them what the consequences of not trusting have been for these people. Not so that they wallow in, in, in it all, but just to remind them. 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh by Nia until we crossed the Zered Valley. Imagine those one or two who still there. Most of them had died, but those who had got that valley 38 years ago, the Lord had called them back through disobedience. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand, verse 15 is a startling verse, isn't it? The Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. There are times, the reality is, the judgment of God is that disobedience has consequences. You know, God is not some sort of celestial Santa Claus, you know, just sort of overindulgent uncle, just sort of always giving presents uh, despite what we do, how we behave. It's a reminder. A reality checkpoint, verse 15. And um, to keep faithful, because sin's got consequences. So don't presume. I do that too often. Boy, do I presume on God. And sometimes I even weigh my little badge, Christian 40 years, if that's going to impress anybody. Don't presume on God. And the instructions go on. He's a wonderful God. He instructs very detailed instructions. Now, when the last of, verse 16, 
When, uh, when the last of these fighting men among the people had died, the Lord said to me, Today you are to pass by the region of Moab at Ar. And when you come to the Ammonites, do not harass them or provoke them to war, for I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it, to, it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. The guidance for their good. And I don't know if you've noticed, verse 5, verse 9 and 19, there's a recurring theme here. God says, I have given, I have given the land to these other people. We'll come across that a little bit later because I think that's really important. But God is in control of all nations. God is acting in the affairs of all nations, all events. Do I believe that? When we pray for world events, do we pray for world events because we're told to pray for world events? But do we actually believe that God is sovereign in the world? Do we believe he's sovereign in Afghanistan? All the time I've been a Christian, we have prayed for the Middle East every week that I can remember in our church. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Do we still believe that God is sovereign? Amongst people who do not acknowledge him? Or in the Middle East? In Iraq? Iran? Sudan? God is sovereign. He is in charge. Then he gives some more background, 20 to 23. And, uh, you know, and you say, well, why this? I mean, why is it tedious, isn't it? You know, all these Ammonites and Zanzanites and Adianites and Horites. I mean, I mean, they're long ago people. No one knows about them. They're weird and they're wonderful names. You know, it's like, it's like a sort of Doctor Who fantasy script. 20 to 23. What's the point of all that? I'm not interested. I should be. Because the point of all this is to show us again that God is in control of the nations. And this is the big point that I've learned for the first time this week when I was studying this, learning through Deuteronomy 2. And I say verses 5 and 15 and 19 help it. That God is in control and God gives land to nations other than Israel. Now the Israelites, proud, they're unique, they were really proud later on, they got this land. But the unique, this is the point that really struck me. The uniqueness about Israel is not the land that God gave them. He has given land to other nations, pagan nations. The uniqueness about them and the uniqueness about us is our relationship with the living God. Not the things that he gives us. The uniqueness and the wonderful thing about us is our covenant relationship with the living God. Throughout the Bible, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Isn't it wonderful? That is the uniqueness about them. That is the uniqueness about us. And the danger is that I'm trusting in the gifts and not the giver. That really hit me when I came across that this week. I'm trusting in the gifts and not the giver. I'm trusting in the things that God gave me rather than the person of Jesus himself. What is more important to you, more important to them than even inheriting the land is their relationship with the living God. What's the most precious gift that God has ever given you? Your wife, your husband, your family, this church? Great gifts from God. Life itself, great gifts from God. But the greatest gift from God is a relationship with him. Do you remember when you didn't have one? I do. It was terrible. It's a relationship 
with the living God. It's himself, isn't it? Knowing him. I love that song, Knowing You, Jesus. It's wonderful, isn't it? Knowing him, being loved by him. And again, we've got a bit same with that. We allow religion to come in and rob us of this relationship. You know, all the other gifts, every blessing is absolutely wonderful. But it's the celebration of our relationship with God. And we've got that relationship through Jesus, through him dying in my place. And we'll, we'll be celebrating, and re- I hope, celebrating communion. Because that's where the relationship is won. All by Jesus, dying in my place, offering me forgiveness, a new start. Even giving me the faith to believe it. That's all gift of Jesus himself. That's the joy, isn't it? That's the supreme gift. I, uh, for some years I was a speaker of an, an, a Christian aid agency that came out of the Rwandan genocide. And I went to East Africa for about seven years running and, and, and I visited Burundi a couple of times. Now Burundi had a low, when I went there, it was just finishing a low-level a low civil war that lasted 12 years, never got the headlines. In that civil war, 250,000 people were killed. I met a man in Burundi who had lost absolutely everything. He'd lost his family, they'd been killed, he'd lost his job, his house was torn to the ground, his, his, <coughs> his field had been raised to the ground. He had lost, it was just in charred rooms, he had lost and everything was destroyed. And yet he had a deep joy and contentment. Not a plastic smile, but a deep joy and contentment. And I asked him, how can you be like this? And I've never forgotten what he said to me. He said to me this. I, this is it, it's brilliant. I never knew Jesus was all I needed till Jesus was all I had. What a challenge. That's been challenging me nearly every day of my life since I met that bloke. Could I live light of the possessions, of the gifts? Because the giver is all I need. Do you mean that? Do you know that? Do you believe that? If it was all taken away, would you still believe that? That's what they were learning, I think. It's the presence. It's the, it's the fact that God will go with them and God is faithful to them. God does not desert them. He never runs out on them. God is wonderfully faithful to a faithless people. That's what this tells us in Deuteronomy all the way through. God is in control. God is faithful to his people. God's purposes haven't changed. He's the same God. His plan for us is the same, to get us to heaven for a people for himself. And so, then the Lord said to me, verses 2 and 3, the Lord said to us, you have made your way around this hill country long enough, now turn north. Go forward. Go forward in your own Christian life. Go forward as a Christian family. Go forward as a family of the church. Go forward together with us in St Peter's and others. Go forward. Because the best with God is always yet to be. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are in control of everything. You never get any airtime on news night. You, don't, you never get a seat at the United Nations. You're never sought out for comment at the flashpoints in the world. 
You've never been invited to the G8 summit. But Lord, you're in control of everything. Help us to know that. But also, wonderfully, you're our God. You have given us an incredible relationship with you. Help us to know it and live it in joyful obedience. Help us, Lord, please conquer my self-centeredness. Conquer our desire to go my way. Give us a renewed desire to go your way. The way you walk, to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard, but joyful as well. All the way into heaven. Because that's what you do. That's what you've promised. And nothing and no one can stop you. Help us to believe it and then live on the basis of that. For your glory and our good. Amen.